Welcome to the Gifted Neurodivergent Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the exploration and cultivation of the outside genius found in neurodivergence. Hello, Gifted Neurodivergents. Welcome to the Gifted Neurodivergent Podcast. My name is Lillian Skinner. Today, we're going to talk about how you find your Goldilocks zone or how you as an orchid find the zone that you're supposed to grow in. Now, there is a book out there that I read back in 2019, actually, right when it came out by Dr. W. Thomas Boyce, and he wrote it. It's called The Orchid and the Dandelion. He wrote it about him and his sister and all the research he does as a pediatrician developmental psychologist. He's currently a professor at pediatrics and psychiatry at University of California, San Francisco, UCSF, and is a member of the Institute for Human Development at UCSF. I know he's also worked at Harvard, University of British Columbia, University of California, Berkeley. When I read his book, I think he was at Harvard, and I think he still has like an institute at Harvard. He talked about his sister growing up and the more sensitive and having mental illness, well, he had a pretty good easy life and he got married and had some children and it just went smoothly. And his sister had pretty much the opposite experience. She had a son, she he had ADHD, and she was struggling with him and she had bipolar and she ended up taking her own life when she was in her early 30s. And it's interesting, because I had the exact same sort of story that she did. I was struggling, 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 grew up with a family where it was much like his sister, you know, there was something wrong with me, and there wasn't something wrong with the rest of us, because I was the most sensitive. His book kind of just talks about how we struggle as the orchids in our world, and that we need all this extra assistance or help or a certain zone. Like his sister, I was in the system. I didn't like it. I was working really hard. I was struggling to meet my son's needs because he was also ADHD and since found out that he's profoundly gifted. And But at the time, I wasn't aware of that. And I was doing my very best to be everything, the mother, the father, the therapist, the everything I could be for him while also working a job that required me to work about 80 hours a week. It was maddening. I mean, it really, really was. But I then got married around the same time that she was hitting her limit. And I married a very sensitive, sweet man who we both recognized we wanted the best for our children, that having a family that was healthy and happy was pretty much the primary goal of our marriage. So we started our own business and we piggybacked and shared all the duties of parenting and career at some places I gave and some places he gave. But we made sure that the family was whole and healthy. And it made a huge difference for my son because my husband is like my son. And even though they're not biologically related, they actually still have the same personality and personality does. So I found him a man in this world that was just like him. And it turned out beautiful. It just got healthier and better because I had surrounded myself with people who were like me, people who were sensitive and sweet. I felt offended by his book because I wasn't broken. I wasn't unsure, but I do have a family that sort of saw it from his perspective, like, woe is her. She has problems and we can't help them. My family thought that my weakness was my sensitivity. I found this to be maddening. It made me crazy. And when I finally let them all go, because I couldn't be healthy when they were in my orbit because they constantly had expectations of me and they felt my sensitivity shouldn't be their problem. But what they didn't realize was my sensitivity was compensating for them all over the place. My sensitivity was making me the one that came out to them and visited. My sensitivity made me the one that took on the bulk of the share of all of our relationships. And when I let them go, 
I no longer had that in my life. I no longer was disrespected. And I no longer was treated like I was less than because I was nicer, because I was kinder, because I loved more deeply. And I can't help but wonder a little bit what to her family. I mean, I can't help but wonder if they didn't expect her to be just like her brother, but she didn't have a wife at home to take care of her son. And I felt really sad about that book. I didn't really come back to it until I moved to South Florida and I actually got into an orchid natural zone, their temperate zone. And then I realized how beautiful his metaphor was to a degree I don't think he even realized. And that's what I'm going to talk to you about today. I'm going to talk to you about how the orchid is much more amazing than he realized, that it's not a matter of us having to be in a zone of perfection, and then we can be cultivated actually even more profound than that. In their zone, an orchid is a prodigy. And that's just the truth of it, because an orchid does not need any cultivation. I live in South Florida. I have orchids all over my yard. I throw them outside when I buy one at the store because I kill it in the inside. And there's a couple that I've kept inside and near killed and then thrown outside in a tree, in a bush, on the ground, And I've watched them blossom and take over the tree and literally make that tree an orchid tree. I have taken a dead tree and thrown orchids into its branches, let them wrap around it, and that tree now blossoms like it's an orchid tree. It is the most beautiful tree in my yard. And the reason is, is because orchids don't need anything. They're an air plant. All this crap about their soil and all these other things, it's not true. The orchids don't need anything, and they blossom and blossom and blossom all year round. We have this idea that the orchids are less than or something they need more cultivation. The opposite is true. When you get into your temperate zone, you find that you are more than. You will outshine everyone. All you need to find is that place where your giftedness is, where your sensitivities deliver for you. And then all of a sudden, you are an orchid tree. I didn't know that when I was reading this, I thought, wow, orchid pretty or whatever. And they're kind of delicate looking and their flowers don't really wilt. They look beautiful forever and ever. And then one day sort of kind of fall off, but another one replaces it. But here they're just magnificent. They just keep growing more and more blossoms and the, and the stems get bigger, but you really don't even see them. And they are like giant cloud of white or multicolored blossoms. And I don't do anything with them. I don't even think about them. I don't water them. I do nothing. And they thrive. Every other plant I have, I have to check on and not the orchids. And so I've pretty much sort of given up on the other plants because the orchids are so much more beautiful that all I do is just throw them around the yard and I keep having more and more orchids grow. And when I take a walk around my neighborhood, I notice more and more of my neighbors doing the exact same thing. They're putting orchids in their trees. They're putting orchids here and there because the orchids just grow. It's beautiful. Now, I do think that we have to see ourselves as orchid. I don't want to show you how big of the metaphor difference there is because When I found that we pulled us out of the system, we're not going to find our zone in the system. We absolutely have to move out of it. And then all of a sudden we're prodigies, just like those orchids. We can find our own way. And that's exactly what happened with my children. And if you are an orchid, if you identify as that, chances are you're stuck in a place that actually is hindering you from being your amazing self. Because We are naturally that self. We are completely capable of it. And I want to also explain to you that if you were to take 
So the orchid, the dandelion, and the, the tulip, an orchid would be a really high IQ, probably 160, which is what profoundly gifted people are, 160 plus. And you, my friends, if you're a spatially gifted person, you're 160 plus. You may not test on the test that way, but you are. But if you were to look at IQs of 100, 160, and IQ of 40, you'll notice that there's some similarities between the 160 and the 40, because our system is the problem. A person who has an IQ of 40, they'll struggle with basic communication skills, understanding and use of language effectively. They may also have difficulty with social skills, such as interpreting cues and understanding motions. They have limited problem solving ability. They require assistance with daily living, such as dressing, feeding, hygiene. That's kind of the biggest thing that's the indicator, right? You have 100. Average intellectual abilities, you excel in some areas, may have difficulty in others, but you're able to communicate effectively, understand complex instructions, and solve problems independently. However, you're going to struggle with maybe advanced ideas. My siblings were 110, 120, and they went through the system. They won all the awards, but then they got to graduate school. They hated it. They both dropped out. Meanwhile, writing PhD level papers. I think graduate school's fun. It's easy. In fact, in the States, I find it to be not difficult enough. I think that we should be going over to Europe because they use more of a Socratic method, much more open to the neurodivergence. We've lost that here in the States. And we have lost neurodivergence in the graduate programs. We've lost the ability for creative thinking. There's kind of also a huge dearth of people who have found out about our different intelligences. They're all in their 70s and 80s. The vast majority of them are older. I was looking it up on ChatGTP and the majority of the people who do this research in neurodivergence and higher giftedness, they're going to retire soon. They're in their 70s and 80s. There are a few that they mentioned that were left. Their research is very specific. It's not general. So we don't have these general people, these big picture thinkers that can tell us what I'm talking about right now. We have to go figure it out ourselves. Luckily, though, we can. And thanks to AI, we can do it quite easily. And that's what I'm using right now to help you see what I see. 100, you have, they fit right in. They can do all the basic stuff. They follow the rules, brush your teeth every day, do all the things that you're supposed to do. And everybody's like, wow, they're a winner. But they can't understand those advanced concepts. They can't actually come with that creative idea intellectually. Then people of IQ 160, you have exceptional intellectual abilities. You may excel in a wide range of areas or you may excel extremely in a, in a few, but it's extreme. You can solve complex mathematical problems, analyze complex data. They have strong critical thinking skills. And you're, however, you may also have some areas of social skills where you struggle with social skills, you struggle with emotional regulation, and you may not be very happy. Additionally, high IQ does not guarantee success or happiness in life. We've got a whole entire system that works against us. Not only does it not guarantee it, it almost guarantees the opposite because we haven't been taught anything about ourselves. I'm trying to change this. We have a whole level of being that is not addressed in the system. It's for average. It's set up for average. And that whole level of being is our sensory data. The second brain that we have in our head is very much communicating with us. All that emotions coming up, that is all data. And we just need to get in touch with it. And then we find our prodigy. Then we find our profound giftedness. I'm in Florida and I got to say that I don't like Florida. So it's definitely not a temperate thing. It's not that you just need to get into your right zone. It's that you need to figure out your brain does, how it works. My brain is very clearly two. I told you before in another one about how I could see and feel my two brains and that when I was in the system, I didn't have them in sync and they were constantly going back and forth. And I think of Carl Jung, all of his work is just about the 
light and the dark, going back and forth between his two brains. And I marveled at how much material he has out there, and yet he never really solved it. I solved it the second I stepped out of the system. I solved it because then I was in touch. I was no longer struggling with the captivity, trying to be something for other people, and I was being who I was for me. And when I was just being who I was for me, I was able to be what my children needed me, what my husband needed me, what my work needed me to be. I didn't struggle with motivation. My motivation was intrinsic. Even though I'm orchid, I don't struggle. Then I decided to ask AI, how will an orchid, a dandelion, and a tulip do? What would the collapse of society be for them? And according to AI, the orchid may have some sensitive nervous system and heightened response to stress, and the collapse of society could be overwhelming. However, if they can find a supportive community or have developed coping mechanisms, they will adapt and thrive in the more primitive or self-sufficient lifestyle. Now, again, I'm offended because I doubt it's primitive, but it definitely is self-sufficient. And this is where we thrive. Why do you think you have all those hobbies? Why do you think that you are good at so many things? It's because you're used to the self-sufficient lifestyle. We are naturally good at everything because we like everything. We're interested in it. It's intrinsically motivated. We're prompt driven. Think about if you lived in a self-sufficient lifestyle, whatever was coming up would be the thing you needed to focus on. I have an example of this prompt driven intelligence. I grew up in a family of musicians and every time I'm around anybody talking about music, all of a sudden I open up this wealth of knowledge on music that I do not know where it comes from, but I do. It comes from my long-term memory. It comes from my subconscious. People start talking about it and then it's, I know all these facts and it's like this for many things. All you need to do is prompt me. I have so much knowledge that all you need to do is ask me a question and I will know the answer. But I never once thought about the answer because it's not something I'm doing in daily life. I really understand how I move through the world. I really understand what I need to do to be healthy, but I don't think about it consciously. I am prompted. And when somebody asks me the question, I think about it for one second and the answer comes out of my mouth. I have never thought of it before, but the answer is in my subconscious and I just need that prompt to bring it up. This is where we need other people. Otherwise, I would just move by myself, live in a cave and be fine because I am darn self-sufficient. I know what I need, but I also want to know what other people need so that I can figure out why I need what I need because I already know it's innate. I remember when I met with Dr. Linda Silverman and we were talking about intelligence, I said to her, you know, is it normal to have your brain kind of go back and forth between your emotions and your intellect? And she's like, oh, ooh, that's great we've been looking for somebody who could do that. And I was like, really? And I thought it was something wrong with me. No, it was my intellect. It was my giftedness. I'm trying to figure out, well, why is it this way? When I read the stuff in our system, I realize it is meant for people who are at 100. It is not meant for you. It is not meant for me. We are the people who are already prepared for what is coming. We already have our censoring brains turned on. We already know. And it may have turned on because of trauma, but trauma isn't a bad thing. Trauma is just something that we learn from. If you can learn to move through your trauma and you're not trapped in captivity and having to relive your trauma over and over and over again, then it's a learning experience. It's actually a beneficial thing. It does suck in the moment. Don't get me wrong. My trauma, because I have such high sensitivity and access to my subconscious, is always healed the second I get away from it. And I have no choice but to move through it and get away. I have to move through it and get away. I also asked them, what did it look like for those who were the orchid and the dandelion? And it said, the dandelion may be more resilient and adaptable. They may initially find it easier to adapt to the new circumstances society collapse. However, the structure and support of society, they will eventually struggle to find meaning and purpose in their lives and lead to a potential loss of direction and motivation. That sounds like us right now, doesn't it? 
we don't need the structure and support and it's forcing us into it, we are struggling with a loss of purpose and a loss of direction and motivation. That's completely the flip of what we're going through. And then for the tulip type, they said, oh, the collapse will be particularly challenging. And they may struggle with a loss of material possession, social status, and security that comes with it. However, they may be able to cultivate a grounded, more adaptable mindset. They may be able to find a source of fulfillment in a more stripped down lifestyle. They may be able to, but we definitely will be able to. We will thrive, it says. We will thrive in a more primitive, self-sufficient lifestyle. Now, I still push back on the primitive because... Who defines it as primitive? Why would it be primitive? Primitive is a pace of life that's slower. It's more harmonious with nature. Primitive societies place a higher value on intuitive and emotional intelligence. That's our intelligence. Why do they do that? Because they're living with change all around them. Because they're living in nature without having to reconstruct it and terraform and create a new place. They live amongst it. It's healthier for everyone, for us, but particularly for the sensitive individuals. Mother Earth is pushing us back to this. Mother Earth will no longer allow us to destroy her. And now we have to go backwards. I'm cool with that. I am so cool with that because this is where I naturally have always wanted to be. And I bet you there's a lot of us who want to be that way. Way more than they say in society. Society certainly hasn't served the vast majority of us. It mostly serves a small group at the top. And they're trying to tell us it served all of us. I keep hearing from rich people about how the abundance will never have again. I'm sorry, but the abundance we have right now has not been amazingly great. I see a lot of crap in my life, but I don't see an amazing abundance of love, family, of the things that I would really, really prefer over things. Things don't mean much to me. I sort of give them away very quickly and I'm constantly trying to cycle through them because I don't want to maintain them. I don't want to collect them. I don't want to have them all there. I want to make stuff. The things I end up keeping are things that help me make things because making things is what I need to do. I was sitting with my husband and we were watching, we were watching YouTube videos and he was watching one he liked, which was on CERT and the, the portal that they're supposedly building to maybe take us to different dimensions because that's his thing and he likes it. And I like to watch them with him and see what his take is. And then we were watching a Peter Levine somatic healing, which was my thing. And I, and he doesn't care as much. And he said, I can't watch this. I can't watch this. It's boring me. I need to go. I was painting while he was watching his CERT movie. So I didn't care. And I realized in that moment how much we are two brains. He couldn't sit there and watch my video because he didn't have anything to do, but I could sit there and do it for his. And I realized when I'm engaged with video and it's my topic, I'm using my subconscious and it's processing and saying yes or no, or, oh, that fits in with here or that as my conscious takes it in. And when I'm not, when I'm doing something 2D and it's just receiving new information, I don't have a processing enough data on it. My brain needs something to do. I need a craft. I need something to do. And I thought, this is so interesting. We could easily sit in classrooms if we were given a craft. If we were allowed to do things while we listened. And I realized my children's school, their Montessori school, they're always weaving and braiding and creating these little crafts while they're sitting through lessons. And I thought how genius that was, that they were already aware that these children had to have two things going. They had to have their subconscious needs met and they so that their conscious needs could be focused. And why would you take that away from children and make them sit in the desk with their hands folded? I was reading about how this child got in trouble because they were reading a book during recess. If they were reading it in class, then they would be in trouble, but not during recess. I thought, oh my goodness. I mean, my children, I don't think they could sit through the class if they weren't reading the book. I couldn't have sat through class if I wasn't reading the book. I read entire libraries when I was sitting in class. And I just thought how sad that was because these children need something to do. Their higher intelligence requires more. And yet we don't do that. And then 
I was thinking about, okay, well, what is the perfect example of this? And I found this book called Memory Craft by Lynn Kelly. And she talks about Aborigine Australians. And she talks about the Incans. She talks about the Native Americans. And she goes through and she talks about how they had amazing memories, fantastic memories, memories, basically equivalent to what's in our cell phone now, because of all the symbols and songs and things that they memorized through their culture. They had oral traditions. And I talked about how in oral traditions, they had so much more saved that they had to destroy the people. But also, they keep saying primitive and saying, oh, in primitive societies, you don't have medicine. I'm sorry, but my medicine, my medical has been equally as damaging as it has been beneficial. I cannot tell you how many times I've been in the hospital and the doctors almost killed me because they don't understand the sensitivity. I do believe that we need to keep pursuing neurodivergent doctors, neurodivergent healthcare, neurodivergent teachers, other neurodivergents, because We are not treated well in the system. We're treated as average and we're so far away from that that we end up getting damaged. The idea that a primitive society who would know me and know my sensitivity and adjust for that and and have a conversation with me where I'm an equal would be better at meeting my needs than uh, the current society because they darn near kill me half the time. They don't listen to me when I go into the place. They don't listen to me when I was a parent, when I take my children in. They question me. And unless I'm with an extreme specialist in the area, they try to tell me I don't know what I'm talking about, even though I'm older than the person I may be talking to. I really can't go to residents because residents have no clue about the ideas of the full breadth of humanity and the variation. And so they will always stick with the middle and tell me things that are just completely, utterly wrong for me and mine. I have found that this going through all of this stuff with with AI, going through the, the books I've read, there's so much set up for us to see one is superior to the other with no real perspective on the other. Our society is the correct one. Everything's right about this one. Animals aren't as smart as humans. Animals don't feel things, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. When in reality, if you go to other cultures or you go to books or you look, start reading material that's not the narrative of the society, you find that it's it's wrong. It's not true. There's a lot of data out there showing that animals are as smart as us, possibly more. Might does not make right. It's about us being co-inhabitors of the earth and serving the whole group. I do believe that we are the natural learners. We have that sensory data and that makes us full capacity, mindful people. And that is the goal. And we have all this meditation, but it's not helping us get to mindfulness. Our mindfulness is natural. I've never needed to meditate to get to mindfulness. In fact, when I meditate, I have trauma because it just brings up all this stuff with whatever I'm meditating on. And it actually not that great for me. And I guess that's fairly common that autistic people have some trauma in meditation. But that would make sense since we have open access to our subconscious goes down in neurodivergence, like it's a spectrum, we all have this, but you can cultivate it. And it isn't through meditation. It's actually through understanding your emotions. I do think that we should try to understand that we're the most prepared for what's coming, that we have all these emotions, and that if we start using them, applying them to what's going on around us, and really trusting ourselves and cultivating that, we will be the most likely to handle the future. We will be the leaders of the future because we're naturally programmed for this. We're naturally set up to be in touch with our sensory data, which is taking in all this immediate data and it's finding the patterns and it's saying, this is what we need to do now. As a child, I always knew what I needed to do next for my family. 
they would yell at me. They would berate me. They would tell me I didn't know what I was talking about. But then inevitably, I was right. And they will still say may have been right, but she, she didn't handle it well. If you're trying to share information that is very valuable to people and they're laughing or dismissing you or treating you like you're annoying with your your passion, then you're going to get a little sick of it and you're going to leave. And I feel like that's pretty much what's mirrored for our society. We are trying to share what we see. We're trying to alert them. We're trying to be conscientious co-citizens and we get treated poorly. We get laughed at. We get told we're ridiculous. We're out of control. I feel that we need to find peers. We need to find each other. We need to connect and basically support each other, but also deliver for each other and reaffirm each other because we're going to go into this time. And if we're all scattered around, which the system has set up, they have scattered us on purpose. If we're all scattered around and we don't have each other, we're going to lose our minds still. We're going to lose our minds to a greater degree. So it is time for us to meet, connect, create a place that's safe for our children and ourselves use our skills and cultivate them and cultivate each other. One last thing. There is a simple life. There was a much simpler life. I remember my great-grandparents who I said went through the depression. They had their big garden in the back. They had a duplex. I remember when I would go to their house, they had hardly anything in there that was modern. They didn't have the new brand name stuff. They just sort of stuck to their skin. They always had. They always ate the sort of same thing. They always had the same stuff. I remember my grandmother using the same five things. She used baking soda for just about everything. She used it for cleaning. She used it for teeth brushing. She used it for soaking. She used it for food. She used it, <laughs> she used it for everything. I remember her soap. She had a bar of soap and she used it for laundry. She used it for bathing. She used it for cleaning. She used it for everything. And she used vinegar to clean. And then she used borax, which is funny because I now use borax for a multitude of things, including my jewelry making. There's just a couple of things lemon juice and starch and beeswax. Those were the three big things she had in her house. So vinegar, baking soda, borax, lemon juice, starch, and beeswax could replace most of our products that we have in our house for cleaning supplies. And they would be clean and they would be efficient and they would not be polluting. We have lost our minds. We have so much abundance that's not necessary. And when we go backwards, it will be so simple. It will be easier. It will be beautiful if we do it right. Thanks for listening, everyone. I really hope that this was of value and you'll come back and listen to me again. Bye. The views, information, and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent Gifted ND Incorporated, Lillian Skinner, or the Gifted Neurodivergent Podcast. This podcast, Lillian Skinner, and Gifted ND Incorporated are not responsible and do not verify the accuracy of the information contained in this podcast series. The primary purpose of this podcast is to inform and educate. The Gifted Neurodivergent Podcast is only available for private, non-commercial use. Any other use of the information contained within this podcast must be done with express written approval and knowledge of Lillian Skinner. You may not edit, modify, or redistribute any part of this podcast. The developer assumes no liability for this podcast or its use on any other podcast or other media.